There we go. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to begin with a little audience participation. Everyone stand up. If you're watching at home, in your living room, wherever, stand up. All right? Everybody stand up. All right? We're going to do this together. Do we just real quick? Okay. Everybody stand up. Everybody raise your right hand. And repeat after me. Ready? Here we go. I, state your name. Okay. Confess that sometimes when people ask me how I'm doing, I say fine, but I'm not fine. That's a lie, and I repent. Okay, sit down. <laughs> you do that, though, don't you? You do it. I know. I can see the look in your eyes. I mean, I can't see your face, but I can see your eyes. And you do that. How are you doing? Fine. And the whole time you're thinking, not really, but I, it's social lubrication, right? It's just like, I don't want to really tell you because that would just make this weird and awkward and you'd feel bad for asking me this question. We, this, we do this thing, and I think we do it most at church. Maybe you do it at work a lot too. Maybe your neighbors do that in your neighborhood. I, I don't know, but I think the place where we're conditioned to do it the most is church. <laughs> we come in here all cleaned up, looking sharp, right? How you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. Really? Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's true. Work is going well. Kids are obedient. Your spouse isn't mad at you. You know, you got a little extra in the pantry, a couple bucks in your wallet. You're fine. Not all the time. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Thank you so much for being here. For those of you here in the room, I'm grateful. Thank you so much. For those of you watching online, thanks for logging in. I, I so appreciate that you're not a digital dropout. I'm just so grateful that you continue to do this. Take a second, fill out your online connection card. Let us know that you're here, okay? Uh, you know, here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and do that. If you haven't done yours here in the room, um, that's really helpful to us just to kind of keep, uh, not to keep track of you, but help care for you, okay? Uh, and that's, that's really helpful. Today we're starting a new sermon series uh, in the book of Romans called Every Broken Peace. The book of Romans is Paul's masterpiece, his theology of the gospel, of, of what God's announcement of what he has done in Jesus, I want you to understand the theme of this book, okay? The theme of the book of Romans is in chapter 1, verse 17. That in the gospel, God reveals how we can gain his righteousness through faith in Jesus. That's the theme of the whole book. When you look at Paul's letters, um, the way he starts out, it's grace and peace. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Um, he, he talks about who he's, who's writing to, to the Thessalonians or whatever. And then he'll say, he gives some prayer for them. He, he's, he's some prayer, some kind of wish for their good health, for what, he wants, wants, for what he wants God to do in their lives. And in that prayer, he always articulates the theme of the letter. And that's kind of where this lands, right before our text for today, that in the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that he died on the cross in our place for our sins, that he rose again on the third day so that we can have eternal life. In the gospel, God reveals how we can gain his righteousness through faith in Jesus. And I am convinced that the only way that's ever going to happen is when we learn to give every broken piece of our lives to Jesus. If you really want to experience the life that God has for you, you've got to give every broken piece to him. If we're going to live like Jesus, we have to begin to admit the places where we don't. 
It's part of this process. We've described for you how, you know, at the end of our service, we give this benediction. We bring our brokenness to Jesus because a change to wholeness is the story we share. It's like this, it's this loop that just kind of, it, it slingshots around itself. And part of that process, part of bringing our brokenness to Jesus is acknowledging the places where we don't look like him. Giving him every broken piece of our life. That's part of how, not the only thing, but it's part of how the gospel shapes us into the image of Christ. Acknowledging that, believing the gospel is the only way to avoid the wrath of God. Look at how our text starts. (laughs) The wrath of God is being revealed. Oh boy, this is going to be a fun one, isn't it? (sighs) Essentially, this text is going to tell us that the bad news of the good news is that if you don't experience the gospel, you will experience the wrath of God, both now and later. See, our freedom is broken. (laughs) The first broken piece of your life that you have to learn to give to God is your freedom. And the tragedy of this brokenness is that when you choose, in the freedom God gave you, to turn away from Him, you have no excuse for what you've done. You're guilty. That's the bad news. Now, there is good news, and lots of it. But like I've said before, we have to understand the alternative. The, the, the good news is only good because the default is bad news. W- without the good news, the only news would be bad. Paul says two things about the reality of God's wrath in this passage. I, I want you to look for them as we read. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now, I want to pause for a second, okay, and define a couple terms. The word wrath here means divine punishment, okay? The meaning of the word is God's righteous anger against sin. He has a right to feel that way. He designed the universe, and it wasn't supposed to be like that, (laughs) It's, it's, it's God's um, holy anger against sin. And he says it's being revealed. It means to uncover, to make plain. Now we're going to come back to that. He says they suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. This is the word, this is the idea that the theologians have behind natural revelation. General revelation, that God has revealed himself in creation, okay? Look at what he says. Paul goes further. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, we're going to come back to that phrase. That's going to pop up again. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged. That word means to trade, to swap. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. He's talking about idols and idol worship there. 
Therefore, God gave them over. That word means to release, to hand off. And sometimes it's used in conjunction with handing over a prisoner to be punished. God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. A brief moment of doxology in the midst of a pretty dark word. Because of this, God gave them over, there's that phrase again, to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Maybe some of our modern STDs aren't quite so new as we thought. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over, there it is again, to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Look at this. They invent ways of doing evil. Could it get any worse? Yes, they disobey their parents. (laughs) We giggle, but I seem to recall one of the commandments being honor your father and mother. That belongs in this list. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And there's a chapter break here, but there's not a break in the thought. (laughs) There is a slight transition, though. You, therefore, have no excuse. (gasps) Does that sound familiar? See, earlier, he says you have no excuse. Here he says you have no excuse. You who pass judgment, the word judgment there means to condemn as guilty when measured against an objective standard. In this case, the righteousness of God. You who pass judgment on someone else. By the way, look at how many times the word judge is going to get used down through this passage. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. In other words, God is right. He's always right. That comes with the job of being God. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness, in other words, him not judging you and sending you straight to hell the first time you sin, is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath, there's that word again, against yourself for the day. That's very important. If you write in your Bible or have a digital version, you underline that, highlight it somehow, okay? For the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. 
All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For is it not those who hear the law who are for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law now let me pause. In this heavy rhetoric, it's easy to get lost. I really need you to pay attention to this because it's something that your unsaved friends have questions about. Pay very closely. Look at what Paul is saying here. When Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bearing witness and the thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place, here's that phrase, on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Listen, I know this is not a fun passage. Some of you this morning like, man, I came to church to be encouraged. Jesus said, feed my sheep, not beat my sheep, Casey, sheesh. There is hope here. There is a theme of hope that plays under all this talk about wrath. Here's the big idea this morning. God reveals his wrath to those who choose not to accept his grace. You have a choice. You have a choice. Now your freedom is broken. In order to receive the grace of God, you've got to give that broken peace to Jesus. And if you don't acknowledge that, you'll never become whole. Paul says two things here about the reality of God's wrath, and they have to do with when we experience them. Here's the first one, number one. It's the first experience, the present reality of God's wrath. I want you to notice what Paul says. He says the wrath of God is being revealed. (laughs) Can I get a little Bible nerdy on you just for a second? Let me get just technical for a second, okay? In the Greek text, the verb translated being revealed is a present passive indicative. So what? Here's, here's what that means and why it matters, okay? God's wrath was then when Paul wrote this and continues to be even when we read this part of the real, ongoing, continual, earned experience of sinful human beings brought on them by their choice to reject God's will. When Paul says it's being revealed, it's a, it's a present, ongoing thing. It it continues to happen. What I'm saying is that there is a present reality to God's wrath, and the people outside his grace are currently experiencing it. Now, for those of us in Christ, wrath changes, and it becomes discipline. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that, okay? (laughs) You're like, it doesn't feel like discipline. It feels like wrath. I know. I know. So how does this happen? How do people experience the present reality of God's wrath? Essentially, I think it comes down to three horrible trades that on some level every one of us has made, you know, at one point or another in our life and maybe are continuing to struggle with. I I don't know. I want to draw your eye back to the use of the word exchanged. Did you see that in the text? It appears three times. We exchanged these things. And the phrase that then God gave them over. We exchanged, we traded, we swapped something, and then God gave us over. It's, it's not the same word in the original text, but they have parallel meanings. The emphasis here is on the justice and fairness of God. He, he's saying, fine, fine, you want to do what you want, okay, you're free, you can do it. And you'll receive the natural consequence for doing that. Some of your parents, you know this, right? You got a little kid, and they're reaching for something they shouldn't touch. Don't touch. 
and they, they wait till you're not looking? Don't touch. I said don't touch. Fine, touch it. I don't see if I care, right? Ah, it's hot, it's hot. It's, I told you, you dummy. Don't say that to your kids. You can think it, but don't say it. Is it any wonder God, call, God is called Father? He's up there in heaven. He's like, fine, you want to trade? Okay, you're free. You can have what you want. See how you like it. Spoiler alert, you won't. Look at, look at what they traded. Verse 23, they traded the transcendent presence of God in their lives for a cheap substitute made in their own image. Verse 25, they traded the fundamental reality of a God-oriented worldview for a delusional myth. In verse 26, they traded God's desire and design that would give them physical, emotional, and relational fulfillment for the illicit pleasures of unlawful carnal knowledge. And yes, I use that phrase intentionally. We hear that and we think, how in the world could somebody make such a horrible trade? We're broken. We're fallen from our original perfection as a, as, a, as a people, as a race. By the way, there's one race, Adam's race, the human race. <laughs> just, there's just the one. We're, we're broken. You need proof? There's a story in the New York Times a couple months ago. Here's, here's, the, here's the headline. Look at this. Look at this. Florida man took coronavirus aid and bought a Lamborghini, officials say. <laughs> this is a true story. This really happened, all right? Now, that ought to be proof enough. Let's drill into it a little bit. David T. Hines, age 29, was arrested and charged with three felonies after spending relief money on the nearly $320,000 car. Clothes and jewelry, federal prosecutors said. In April, Mr. Hines joined scores of other business owners who were seeking help from the Federal Paycheck Protection Program. On his application, Mr. Hines said he operated four businesses. That was true. He does, though... It's hard to prove any of them actually do any business, but he owns them. With 70 employees, that's a flat lie, and had $4 million in monthly expenses, not even close. By the next month, Mr. Hines started receiving money from the loan program. He received three payments, totaling just shy of $4 million, according to the authorities. As that money came in, Mr. Hines continued submitting requests for more funds. Eventually, his requests totaled just a little over $13.5 million dollars. Your tax money. What came next, based on a review of his financial records, was an epic spending spree that included luxury jewelry, expensive clothes, visits to Miami Beach resorts, and expenses on dating websites, officials said. And you're like, okay, this, that's awful. That's bad. He's not, he can't be that dumb to think that he's not going to get caught. Oh, but it gets better. <laughs> there were two payments made in May totaling $30,000 to a person listed in the thing as, I cannot make this up, mom. <laughs> he's, he's shoveling money. Now, some of you are like, well, he's a good boy. You know, he's trying to do right by his mom. No, he's a felon. In May, he went out and bought a brand new blue Lamborghini Huracan, the new model, for $320,000. If convicted on all charges, he'll face up to 70 years in prison. Now listen, I'd love to drive a Lamborghini too. But that's a bad trade, man. The whole human race does. 
The text says we have no excuse. No excuse. We make the same trade every time we kick God out of the driver's seat in our life. We make the same trade every time we choose to believe the lies of Satan because they let us do what we want to do. And we make the same trade every time we try to pervert God's design for us from the boardroom to the bedroom and twist it into something unholy and evil. And the whole time God is saying, is that really what you want? Okay. Our freedom is broken. And without even knowing it, we are experiencing the present reality of God's wrath. And the crazy thing is, that's only half the story. Now relax, I'm more than halfway through the sermon. Remember the big idea today. God reveals his wrath to those who choose not to accept his grace. Now, Paul says two things about when we experience God's wrath. The first is that we experience the present reality of God's wrath. And we have to ask the question, is the coronavirus, is COVID-19 the expression of God's wrath? Here's my definitive answer. Maybe. (laughs) I, I don't believe that there's a sin behind every sniffle. I think we ought to pray for our president. The Bible says to do it, and you need to. But this passage talks about putting stuff in place of God. And God said, fine, you want to put money in the place where I should be? I'll take it away. I'll tank your economy. You want to put sports in my place? Fine, no sports. You want to put sex In my place, six feet away and wear a mask. (laughs) All the false gods our culture has taken on, he took away in the last six months. Oh, you're free. Go for it. And yet they experience his wrath. (laughs) And the point of it, the point of it, church, is not because God is up in heaven looking down at us going, look, they're having fun. No. No. It's designed to lead us to repentance. It's designed to help us seek out his grace. To look around us and go, there aren't any answers anywhere. I know, look up. See, we, there's a present reality to God's race, but there's uh, God's wrath, but there's also a future reality to God's wrath. That's the second experience. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Look at this again. Let me me put this back up on the screen. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. (laughs) See that phrase, for the day He's going to use it again in chapter 2, verse 16. There it will be translated on the day. It's the same phrase both times. And in Greek, it's the phrase enhemera, all right? And basically, every, this, this letter was written to, to Jewish Christians in, in the church at Rome. They would have understood this, right? That was code in, in Jewish Christian world. It was code for the day of God's judgment. We're talking great white throne, end of time, sheep and goats, heaven and hell, that. They got that. 
They understood that phrase, on the day or for the day, all right? It's just like for you as Americans when I say with liberty and justice for all. Like that phrase for us has, we know like, oh yeah, right, it's, it's calling us back to our values as a people. They got that phrase. They understood that Paul's talking about the, the end here. <laughs> also, it's used both times with a future tense verb, Paul's clearly shifting his focus from the present reality, the consequences of sin, to a future reality of God's wrath. And then he moves into this significant discussion about the law. He's talking about the law of Moses, the Old Testament covenant. There's way more to this than we have time to deal with. Here's the takeaway. If you have the law, and by that he means the law of Moses, you'll be judged Based on that, there's a little bit of a, a typo there, sorry, a little bit of, <laughs> it's missing. Um, you'll, if you have the law, you'll be judged by the law. If not, you'll be judged by the natural law that, that God designed into creation, starting with your own conscience. This is what I mentioned earlier when I said your unsaved friends might have questions about this. A lot of people ask, well, what's God going to do with people who've never heard the gospel? His standard is perfectly Just. For people before the time of Jesus who never had any exposure to the law of Moses, and for people after the time of Jesus who never had any exposure to the gospel message, God's standard is perfectly just. And we read about this in, in the middle of Romans 2, and here's what this says. What this says is that they will be judged based on the standard of their own conscience, that God on judgment day, if they never had a chance to hear the gospel, will judge them based on their own conscience. Now you ask any adult in their right mind, have you ever done anything wrong, what will they tell you? Talk to me. Yeah. How do they know? How do, their conscience, absolutely. It's built right in. And so on judgment day, God will be absolutely just. No one will get sent to hell. They will send themselves. They will see their own sin against a righteous, holy God, and he won't need to tell them where they're going to go. They know. This is the future reality of God's wrath. <laughs> and outside the grace of Jesus, either way, you lose. What Paul's doing here is trying to eliminate any possible relativism we might have about our own sin. And some people have a hard time describing themselves with that word. <laughs> they struggle to use that word about themselves. Now, as Christians, we know we're sinners by habit, but not by category. <laughs> some people struggle with that, that language, though. Joel Hunter tells of a friend of his who once found himself in a conversation with, with a man who was in prison serving time for robbery. And, and, and as the conversation wore on, the, the, this man began, this inmate began to tell him about uh, a story he heard about another robber who broke into the wealthy family's um, house and, and stole their stuff and killed, then he killed them. And the inmate said, he said, it's guys like that that give robbers a bad name. <laughs> and Joel's like, I didn't realize they had a good name. He said, well, I never hurt anybody. I mean, I only stole from rich people. They could afford it. I never hurt them. <laughs> oh, okay. But here's a guy who ought to be reminded of his own sin every time he hears the metallic clang of the cell door. And yet he can tell you with a straight face, he's not as bad as the other guy. Oh, okay. So I want to issue a challenge for you in this sermon series. 
Here's the thing. We, we say this to each other. How are you? <laughs> and it's social grease, right? It's social lubricant. Can we change that for the next six weeks? Can we try, would you try an experiment with me? So here's the deal. From now on, for the next six weeks, when someone says, how are you? I want you to tell them. <laughs> just, 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 just tell them. Last, do you mind me sharing this, our conversation last week? Is that okay? Okay, I should have asked beforehand, I'm sorry. I put Bill on the spot. So last Sunday, we're standing in the lobby here, and I came up to Bill, how you doing? And he just told me. It was just raw and honest, and he just laid it out there. Church, that was the most refreshing thing I've had in church in a long time. It was, thank you, brother, thank you. That was beautiful, and that's the way it ought to be. What Bill just modeled for all of us is the way church ought to be. Where you walk in here, how you doing? This week stunk. I am just sick of work. My kids are driving me nuts. I think my wife hates me. Debbie and I are fine. I'm just, okay, I just said. So here's the experiment. I want you to add, when you say, how are you? Wait for the answer. Don't just do that. How are you? And keep walking. Or maybe do this. How are you really? Will you do that with me for the next six weeks? Could we just be honest with each other at church? Of all places, you're not supposed to lie anywhere, but especially at church. Let's just be honest. How are you? (laughs) Really? And speak truth to one another. See, Paul in this passage is calling us out on our hypocrisy. He's calling us out on our contempt for God's grace. He's calling us out on our utter failure to live up to God's holy standard. (sighs) We get all the way to chapter 2, verse 16. Look at this, chapter 2, verse 16. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Yes, the gospel is good news. But if you think for one second that God's righteous judgment against sin is not also part of it, you're not reading the text carefully enough. This is also part of the gospel. And before we go on in the rest of it to this masterpiece of God's grace, we have to deal with this. All this bad news is part of the gospel. You seeing that your freedom is broken is is actually part of the good news. And, And part of what makes it good is that the default is bad. Part of what gives the gospel its evangelistic impulse and power is that knowing that there will come a day when God's judgment will be revealed and it will find its fulfillment and on that day it will be too late to accept his grace. You're free. You're free to choose it now. Take advantage of the choice now. Because if not, you'll be judged based on law or your own conscience. And you can't do that. Your freedom to do so is broken. Only one person ever did live up to God's standard. That's Jesus. Like Denny said before, ultimately the place where we end up is the cross. And you have to understand, God doesn't want you to experience his wrath. He wants you to experience salvation and grace. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, hear me today. God reveals his wrath to those who choose not to accept his grace. So make the choice to accept his grace this morning. And the place you receive it is at the cross of Christ. 
come to the, the cross, the only place where all of God's wrath on sin was poured out and, and satisfied. This, what I'm saying is just an echo of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Look at this. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin. On the cross, Jesus became the physical embodiment of sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, God took all of his wrath for humankind on himself and in our broken freedom, we rebelled against God. In his abundant mercy, he provided a way out of that and opened up a new freedom to us, the freedom to receive his grace and be declared righteous. And it's yours if you'll give him every broken piece of your life. The old you has to die. And Jesus will raise up a new one. Yes, God's wrath is being revealed, but God has revealed more than wrath. Look back with me at Romans 1.17. Look at this. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Church, God is revealing more than wrath to a sinful world. He is revealing grace. He is revealing righteousness, and he's opened up a freedom for you to receive it if you just will. And if you've never responded to the offer of God's grace in Christ Jesus, you've never appropriated for yourself the, 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 the salvation and escape from God's wrath that's only available in him, what on earth are you waiting for? We're going to have a time for you to do that right now. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I, I, I hope that today you've been convinced to change that. Some of you are watching online right now. And... and and like the normal response of coming forward and being baptized and making a confession and receiving the Spirit and walking, that's tough to do online. So on, in the chat, I just want you to type, I don't want wrath, I want grace. And one of our pastors will reach out to you this week and we'll make a follow-up appointment and, and we'll make sure that this happens. For those of you in the room, that, that time is now. The cross of Christ has opened up a new freedom to you to accept His grace. You're free. Be free from the wrath of God through grace. Quit pretending you're fine when you're not. And the only way to have peace is to give Jesus every broken peace. Let's stand together and you respond as God leads you today.